This episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you exclusively by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. From Podfleet Command's secret listening post inside the Badlands. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Welcome, everyone, to Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. Thanks so much for making us part of your week and for downloading. We're very excited you're here today, and uh, we look forward to giving you a great show. And, of course, I say we. It's always a great show when my co-host is aboard. If he were a Maquis terrorist... I would just let him go into the Badlands and not chase him because he's probably not very good at that either. He's the very sly Dan Davidson. Dan, how's it going there in the Badlands, buddy? Well, it's going. You know, uh, you know. Thanks, Jover. Thanks for the introduction. I appreciate it. It's good to be here, and I look forward to a good discussion as always with uh, with you and all of our listeners uh, around the Badlands. Yeah, <laughs> both of them. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's uh, it's great to be here, uh, continuing a great discussion that we started last week. Um, I've been looking forward to this one just as much as I was with last week's, and uh, I can't wait to get into the talk, man. For the uniform, part two of the editing arc, 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 arc. <laughs> we really got to get some budget for that echo because uh, <laughs> if we paid you for every word you'd say, you get an extra five bucks right there. It's it's pretty like amazing. It. Yeah, no, this is this is sort of the you know the these middle act of of the three act story you know and uh it's it's probably one of my favorites I, i'm not gonna lie i'm very excited to talk about this today as am i i rewatched it just yesterday just to just to get back into that feeling because you know you know it's, it's a it's a tense story and and i i saw some new stuff that i liked and i saw a couple of things that i didn't like so i'm looking forward to talking about the uh the whole shebang of for the uniform because it's all about the uniform bill uh, it's uh, yes, all about that uniform, about that uniform. No trouble, no trouble, <laughs> no trouble. Pretty clear, I ain't no size two. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, those your words, not mine. Dan, people may have some comments, some some questions, some suggestions for us. Maybe they've been watching the Eddington arc, 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 arc along with us, and <laughs> maybe they want to send us their thoughts. How might they do that, mon frere? 
Well, I'd be happy to tell everyone you can head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact and you'll find a variety of ways to send us your thoughts. And, and believe me, we want to hear from you. So please check it out. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and leave us a message about anything that might be on your Star Trek mind. Plus, don't forget, you can click the big blue button on the right hand side of the website and even leave us a message using SpeakPipe. Whenever I say big blue button, I think of that dog cartoon. I don't know why. But anyway, uh, we'd love it if you would also join our official Facebook camp, Kittimer. Always great things going on over there. Star Trek Talk, Star Trek Picks, Friday Commute Celebration, Lip Syncs with Bill and I. Plus, you're also going to get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast before it's even released. To join the group, just head right on over to facebook.com slash Camp Kittimer. And one of our wonderful admins will let you right on in to join in on all the fun. And we may be taking uh, suggestions for that Friday commute celebration very soon. But please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Back to the EP, Bill Smith. Thank you, Dan. And just to clarify, that's Facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. Because if you leave, go to the other one. The group, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Wow, I think that's the first time I have misdone that particular URL. I bes- humbly apologize and beg forgiveness. That's okay. It's the drugs talking. I understand. It, I would not be doubt- doubted about I can't even talk. And why am I even here? <laughs> <laughs> and by drugs, I mean cold medicine. Let's be honest. Yes. <laughs> as far as I know. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrants. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. Yo, It's treknews.net. <laughs> I love the online at tracknews.net. For the second there, I thought we transported to Ferris Bueller. That was fantastic. Uh, Dan, lots of, lots of news this week. We got some, uh, some discovery stuff up first, but, uh, leading the pack, Hallmark mm. has announced their Star Trek ornament lineup for this coming holiday season. And they were quite animated about it. See what I did there? Animated. Uh, you funny man. Yes. We'll get to that part in just a second. But uh, lots of new decorations to adjoin, uh, to adorn your festive home or office. There's actually going to be six this year, which is, which is a lot. Um, so I'm going to run down the list for everybody just to see what's out there and pick your favorite. First up is going to be Sulu, the Sulu fencing scene from Naked Time, which will have sound. It's got Sulu and Kirk. Uh, shirtless Sulu. Hashtag shirtless Sulu, I guess we could say. Um, there will also be, finally, I've been looking forward to this for a long time, a TOS Starfleet tricorder. Uh, the ship this year, it, it makes perfect sense. It's going to be the USS Discovery, which will light up as the, uh, most of the uh, yearly ships do. There will also be a special all-metal original series USS Enterprise, which will be available in October. And for the animated comment that Bill just said, yes, finally, 
Star Trek the Animated Series will be represented by Hallmark this year with a special two-pack that will be available only at San Diego Comic-Con, STLV, and New York Comic-Con. It's the animated series characters Mares and Eryx. Kind of cool. Looking forward to it. I'm going to probably get those. I, I think I'm probably going to get them too, and uh, it's only because the ornaments look pretty great. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I'm excited by this, actually. I, I'm glad to see those characters finally get a little love. Although um, I, I'm a little concerned about the ship ornaments, because last year um, I, I was going to get the ship and didn't because I thought it looked really cheap and cheesy compared to previous years. Mm-hmm. So I only hope that they put some time and love into the discovery or else I'm going to be pretty disappointed. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a, quite an amazing ship. We've talked about how much we like it uh, over on Discovering Trek. And, and I, I totally understand what you're saying. One of the things I was very disappointed about with Hallmark over the years is they used to have the ships that would actually have a, a light uh, wire that you would plug into one of the Christmas light sockets in order to light it up. And it would be constantly lit on your tree or desk or wherever you had it. They stopped doing that several years ago, and it's only battery-operated, and you press a button, and it only stays on for a limited amount of time. I find that very disappointing with the ship. I want to be, I want it to be lit up all the time. Don't know if they're going to change that with this year, but it's the Discovery, so I'm hoping it's going to really pop and have, and, and have some good detail to it. I think they've been moving toward the battery-powered ships for a number of years now. Mm-hmm. I, too, am disappointed by that. I think they've done it largely because of... Uh, less potential to short out strands of lights or or maybe have a fire hazard. I don't know. But uh, I I do like my old ornaments that I plug into the tree, especially the original uh, Enterprise ornament they did in 91, which I still put on Mm -hmm. my tree every single year. So Um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to have to pick up uh, those ornaments at STLV when we're out there. I've already told Aaron Harvey, he who hosts Saturday Morning Trek, that I will pick him up uh, a couple if he needs them. So uh, nice. we will see what happens. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. Dan, speaking of the USS Discovery, our friends at Eagle Moss, fine sponsors of this here podcast, have a new release of the large variety, I hear. Yes, they certainly do. Uh, in addition to um, the collection that we discuss here with the official Star Trek Starships collection, Eagle Moss also has a couple of other uh, collectibles available, uh, the large variety of Starships like Bill Hat, uh, mentioned. And they have a Discovery line, and they have previously released the USS Shenzhou and now, finally, Eagle Moss has released the USS Discovery, and it is amazing looking. Um, to quote TrekNews.net's Kyle uh, Haydenyak, I believe is his last name. I may be pronouncing that incorrectly, and my apologies with this cold. Uh, quote, the Discovery model is perhaps the most important model in this line from Eagle Moss. It's the flagship, after all. And apparently, the importance of nailing the Discovery wasn't lost on Eagle Moss. From its unique bronze coloring to the extra-long warp nacelles to the incredibly tiny deflector dish, the Crossfield class model is faithful to the show. Uh, check out all the great details in Kyle's interview uh, and pictures of the Discovery in Shenzhou over at treknews.net. They really are amazing. Eagle Moss really, really has hit it out of the park with this large Starship collection. I'm really impressed by all of their ships, some of which we'll talk about a bit later, but the large ones in particular, I mean, you have one of the large enterprises, mm-hmm. and I can only imagine how good the large discovery is going to look based on your large TOS enterprise that, that you have in your cube. 
Oh yeah, uh, I mean the, the that one that you got me that sits in my cube is is beautiful. It's the details amazing, and and the discovery line of ships is is bigger than this. I think they're around I want to say fifteen inches long, something like that. They're they're quite large, and I've seen pictures online of 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 the Shenzhou, and it, the details amazing. The paint colors are are very vibrant, and uh, it's it's worth checking out. And uh, I gosh, if I had room, I'd have a lot of starships right now. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about how people can do that a little bit later on. But Dan, before we do that, there's more discovery news. Uh, there's some nominations and awards uh, that we need to update people on. Yeah, absolutely. As we've talked about a, a few times, discovery has been racking in nominations and awards. Uh, although it didn't take home the trophy this week, Discovery was nominated for a Peabody Award last week, uh, and it shows yet again the deserved recognition of this latest spinoff of Star Trek. Peabody Award, in, I guess, is is really one of the high prestigious awards, so to even be nominated is, is quite a feather in their cap. So congratulations for that. And also congratulations to Jason Isaacs for winning an Empire Award for his portrayal of our favorite Mirror Captain Gabriel Lorca. Very, very good news there. And as always, we look forward to the future announcements of Discovery nominations all through the summer, and we will be sure to bring them here to you during the new segment from TrekNews.net. Absolutely. And Dan, we're not we're we're kind of sick with Discovery news this week. It's fantastic. I love all this stuff. Yes. I know this is a late edition because I just happened to read this before we recorded tonight. But speaking of Discovery, the Star Trek Discovery Annual is now available for comic readers. Indeed it is. And this is news to me just as we're reading it now. So, uh, I will be checking it out. It is actually a story of how Stamets, uh, excuse me, how st the story of Stamets and his work with the spores leading up to his discovery of the mycelial network. So kind of a nice backstory there. It's going to also include how he got into Starfleet, how he met Hugh Culber, and even how Tilly wound up on discovery as a cadet. So that's very cool. It's available now at your local comic book shop. And as well, online at Comixology. So check it out. I will be. Uh, I've read it. It's fantastic. I'm looking forward to talking about it a little bit on Discovering Trek at some point. Because I think there's a story there that's worth talking about. But uh, yeah, definitely check it out. It's the uh, the annual, which they do for uh, pretty much every comic on the planet. And the Discovery one is certainly uh, certainly worthy of the title Star Trek. Uh, Co-written by Kirsten Beyer, who is one of the writers for the show and also a an author of Voyager novels. So pretty exciting. Awesome. And Dan, cool. uh, we're going to talk more about them later, as we always do. But some new tunes are about to hit the virtual airwaves. Oh, yes, indeed they are, my friend. Five-Year Missions, highly anticipated year four makes its debut this coming Thursday, April 27th, 2018. You know, Bill, as donors uh, to the fundraiser that they had, you and I got some early access to uh, said year four. And I think you and I are in total agreement that this album just kicks ass. It is awesome. I listened to it today as I was doing some ironing, and it was pretty sweet. I listened to it uh, yesterday as a... Uh as I was cutting up some bits here for the podcast. In fact, uh, people noticed that uh, the music you hear in this episode of Trek Geeks and probably for a considerable amount of time is all going to be year four tracks. So the the segment bumpers that you hear in this episode, uh, all from the brand new album. So we want everyone to check it out. That's for sure. Absolutely. It's uh, it's amazing. And and oh, I, uh, I can't give a spoiler. I'm not going to do it. Sorry. 
<laughs> yeah, no, no spoilers. No, no, we don't do that on Trek Geeks. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Can't do it's it. A, Sorry. It's def- definitely a worthy successor in the, the five-year mission catalog. And uh, I, I'm excited to to memorize every note of this album. It's It's fun. It is fun. Everybody will enjoy it. Check it out. Well, Dan, this is the part of the show where we're going to talk about a lot of little starships, and I'm holding some in my hands, if you can believe that. Oh, really? Unbelievable, because I don't have any in my hands, and I'm feeling kind of left out. But, <laughs> you know, now that, you know, we can talk about them, I I might have to ask my wife to, to build a separate room in our new house just for this collection. It's officially authorized by CBS Studios, and it's the official Star Trek Starships collection, and it's available only from Eagle Moss Collections. And uh, we've talked about it before. This is the ultimate collection of vessels from across the entire Star Trek universe, from the original series to Next Generation to Deep Space Nine, Voyager, all the way through the movies, through Star Trek Beyond, and I will do that every single time, um, and Beyond Beyond. So uh, it's fantastic. You got to check it out, folks. They're just they're just so great. So uh, as you know, I have a bunch of these starships myself. You know, as a someone who has subscribed to Eagle Moss, and I'm holding in my hands issue number fifty four, which is the Steamrunner class, which was seen in Star Trek First Contact briefly during the. Uh, the fight with the Borg cube uh, at mm-hmm. near Earth, and this is the USS Appalachia that I'm holding in my hand. And you know, this I'm looking at this, and it is so detailed. I mean, this thing is made from diecast metal and really super high quality ABS materials. And as I look at this, it is so obvious that it's hand painted. And when I compare it to the reference that's in the the, the magazine, which I'll talk about in a second, it, it you can tell that they used every ounce you know, of, uh, of reference that they had to paint these things, whether it's the CG models themselves or photos of, of studio models. Um, this little ship in my hands is just gorgeous. And it looks like it flew right off the screen and into my hands. Uh, the ship also comes with a fantastic display base. And I love the Eagle Moss display stands, Dan, because they, the ship fits inside the display and not the other way around. It's one of the things right. I really love about this product. And then they also come with this amazing collector's magazine. And this one, I think, is about 12, uh, sorry, 20 pages. And then there is detail on the ship and how they designed it. And then they tell you about um, it's where it appears in the movies. And they tell you the story behind the ship itself. And they give you the technical specs. And they tell you a little bit about First Contact itself in this particular issue, since the ship is from that. And uh, it just it, it's it's such high quality. It is truly amazing. Design sketches, you name it. That's pretty awesome. And since you just learned how to read recently, that's a plus for you, man. That's fantastic. Congratulations, buddy. There's a lot of pictures. <laughs> oh, okay. Good, good. Yeah. And, and folks, it's easy to subscribe to the collection today and receive your first ship, the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D, for only $4.95 with free shipping. All you need to do is head right on over to their very, very easy 
website. It's st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. It's just that simple. You will not be disappointed. And, you know, what's going to happen is additional models. And, Bill, there's over you – know, you have a bunch in your hand right now, but there's over 100 already. Um, twice a month, you're going to get new ships that are going to be delivered directly to your door. That's right. I said it. Eagle Moss will send your ships uh, – let's, let's try that again. Send your ships right <laughs> to your door. <laughs> but don't forget, too, I mean, as a subscriber, you're going to get a bunch of free gifts that are worth over 90 bucks. And uh, this is important, too. You can cancel your subscription at any time. I mean, there's no minimum, you know, that you don't have to to enter into any kind of contract or whatever. You can stop at any time. Of course, full details can be found at st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. But also, fans who want to purchase these ships individually, like maybe you want this this fine-looking Steamrunner class that I'm holding in my hands, you can do that, too, for just a few dollars more, either online at shop.eaglemoss.com or even at your local comic book shop. Awesome. Fantastic. Just remember to subscribe. One more time. st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. And we, oh gosh, we just thank Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection for sponsoring this episode of Trek Geeks so much. We're so excited, and we know that you will be too. Well, Dan, here we are at uh, the middle act of the infamous Eddington arc, 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 arc. And uh, (laughs) it's for the uniform, season five, episode 13 of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This is one that we've been looking forward to for a while. and. we decided to do, you know, a three part series because really I think these episodes deserve them and this episode especially. One of the things I like so much about this episode, arc, 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 is the fact that it doesn't take place in three consecutive episodes, but yet it's still an arc. I think that's really great. I mean, we've talked about episode arcs, you know, here and on Discovering Trek and in Trek ranks and this, that, and the other thing, but this is kind of a unique situation where they're spread out over quite a long amount of time and it's actually a a very central point in this episode because ben's been chasing eddington for eight months and hasn't got nothing to show for it well yeah that's a great point i mean so last week we talked about for the cause the episode where we discover eddington is really a maquis terrorist and he's been i know right spoiler alert and he's been essentially you know working under everybody's nose the whole time and uh, steal some industrial replicators for the Maquis, you know, and essentially betrays Cisco. And then it's pretty key, I think. And then we get to this part the next season later. And um, apparently the hunt is on, you know, it's a, it's a, this is a tense episode from start to finish for the moment where Cisco beams down to the planet and, and Eddington gets the drop on him. Essentially. I, um, mm. This episode starts off fantastically, and I don't think it disappoints. It doesn't. Uh, that very first scene is very tense. Klingon disruptor pointed right at Ben's face and then chest. And uh, right from the get-go, you know that this is going to be an episode that's going to pack quite a wallop. Um, I do have one question before we get into too much detail about this episode. Yeah. Did you find it interesting that we find out what Eddington's been doing and he was security officer on Deep Space Nine, but he's been working for the Maquis. Now, all of a sudden, he is the leader of the Maquis. Do you think that took place after the events of the last episode or do you think he always has been? And we're just finding out now that that's how high up he is in the Maquis. 
that's a really great question. I hadn't considered that before. I, I have to believe mm. that on some level, um, probably a little bit before, but definitely after. You know, yeah. we were told in Next Gen and even in the early parts of of the Maquis in, in Deep Space Nine that really they didn't have a leader per se. So for Eddington to be that guy, uh, I think is is pretty telling about how key he is to what they want to do. And I have to believe that his experiences in dealing with, you know, uh, his undercover work, quote unquote, on Deep Space Nine were probably essential to that. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. No, I like it. Um Lots of lots of very interesting scenes in this episode to chew on. You already talked about the initial meeting, which I thought was was really a great way to start the episode. You can tell that Cisco is just I mean, he just I he wanted to just reach out and and knock that disruptor away and just beat the tar out of Eddington in that opening scene. Um one of the interesting things that I thought uh after that happened was Eddington's deviousness for planting that virus in the defiant how long ago we don't even know it's been eight months since the uh for the cause episode so that's some that's some pretty patient uh patient work on eddington's part to just be able to release it at just the right point when he needed to the most it tells me that he knew at some point that cisco was going to come after him Mm -hmm. he didn't know when he didn't know precisely where but he wanted to create some sort of device and by device, I mean, you know, not necessarily a physical thing, but this is some sort of situation where the defiant would be nullified, you know, mm-hmm. and you're right. It, it talks about how truly devious he is. I mean, you figure he talks about how he, he was pretty proud about what he came up with because neither Odo nor Chief O'Brien found it. Yeah. And, you know, he, he executes it and the whole ship essentially just fails, which I mean, <laughs> that, that says something about you know, the security of these starships, I think we got, we got to get some firewalls going here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bit of an yeah, issue. I think we might need to change those passwords. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it really was well done and, and it's not something that you expected. And then he even did it on DS nine. They were, you know, Odo talks about how they were able to find what four or five hidden in the, in the computer systems on, on the station. Yeah. Uh, the guy knew what he was doing and, and as well, as well as being a security engineer, sounds like he's a pretty good computer programmer too. Well, I'd have to think that, that he has to be on some level, you know, uh, he had access to so many things. And of course, deep space nine, a sort of a hybrid situation in both Cardassian and Federation systems. I imagine that it, it was probably even more involved than planting a, a cascade virus on the defiant, right? So I imagine that for all that stuff to go undetected for so long talks about how much trust he had, but also how really, you know, uh, how really well he performed these tasks. So uh, before we move on from this, I want to go back to that initial meeting at the beginning of the episode for a second. Sure. The scene where he's telling Cisco to look at the people in the cave, Uh. I, I thought was particularly telling as far as Eddington goes, and, you know, they talk about this later on, but you could see at that point that he viewed himself as a Robin Hood of sorts, you know, essentially telling Cisco, you know, these people, you know, that they were sold a lie. And then Cisco essentially counters him back. It's like, well, you're the one who's selling them an even bigger lie that they're going to be able mm-hmm. to go back to these worlds at some point when you know they won't. And I thought that the tension in that scene was just it was it was really gripping i mean disruptor aside the dialogue between those two characters was just outstanding 
It's funny that you say that because I had a little bit of a different take on that. Okay. Um, I agree that the, the tension in the scene was great, but I thought it was a little bit over dramatic on Eddington's part that with all the things that Cisco was saying and all the, you know, undercutting and, and kind of insults that Cisco was throwing and how he's going to be court martialed. The thing that almost set Eddington off and he points the gun right at him is when Cisco refuses to look behind or in front of the curtain to see the people that are there. I found that I, I, I understand why he did it. I mean, cause he is the leader of the Maquis and, and he feels that the Federation has caused all this, but I was like, wow, with everything said, that's what got you to point the gun at him. I thought it was a little interesting. I thought it was interesting that he had that reaction, you know, with his, his power being challenged. Cause to me, that's essentially what it was. Cisco mm-hmm. dared to defy him in that moment, you know, where Eddington was sort of in control, if you will. And, Cisco wasn't going to back down because Cisco's not afraid of him. You know, Cisco knows that, you know, he's, he's essentially a terrorist. And yep. so I, I thought that that dynamic alone was really what was exciting about that particular scene. When you carry okay. that forward. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, I wanted to jump ahead real quick back to the attack on the defiant by Eddington with the, with the, with the virus. I got to say last week I talked about and raised the question why does the Federation think the Maquis is such a threat? They're such a small group of people. There's a lot more other, more important things seemingly going on in the quad- quadrant that they should be paying attention to. But when I watched this episode again yesterday, I said to myself, that's a perfect reason why the Federation should probably be worried about the Maquis after seeing what Eddington did to the Defiant and potentially would have done to the station if Odo hadn't caught uh, the other viruses. Absolutely. You you couple that with the fact that in the, the episode previous to this in the Eddington arc, he stole those, you know, 12 or, or 10 industrial size mm-hmm. replicators. And, yep. you know, the Maquis becomes, you know, a, a significant, you know, power in that part of the galaxy. I think that yep. I think that Cisco's right to be that concerned about them. And, you know, I, I think Starfleet is concerned, but I think Cisco is probably closer to it than the people at Starfleet command. That's um that scene, you know, where the, I have to say right off the bat, I, I kind of dig the hollow communicator. I thought it was great. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I was glad to see them do something like that on discovery, even though it's a prequel mm-hmm. of sorts. But I liked the fact that the hollow communicator made the interactions more interesting than just looking at a flat view screen. Much more interesting. I totally agree with you. In these scenes in particular, you know, when, when Eddington says, you know, essentially he's got all the power when he attacks the defiant. And that moment where he tells them to cease fire, you can mm-hmm. tell that he's just like, yep, I can do this anytime I want to. Yeah. And you can see it. You can see it on his face. He doesn't mm-hmm. say those words, but you can tell that he is just savoring the moment where Benjamin Sisko is essentially powerless against him. Yeah, I mean, he's cocky in the way he does it, but he's not. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can yes. tell that he just like, he's like, yeah, see what I can do. You can't do a thing about this right now. I could, I could just wipe you out. And I'm not going to because I'm the better person, but I could. I mean, that's the kind of the kind of thinking that I I think he had going on in his head. Well, and, you know, he keeps at this point in the episode, we've heard twice that the Maquis doesn't kill people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it doesn't mean that they don't put them on a path that could cause them significant injury or <laughs> take them forever to get home in a couple of cases. Sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, he. Well, he, what's. What's the name of the guys that uh, was supposed to meet Cisco at the beginning of the episode? And instead, he had a, quote, accident and was stranded on a planet. And Cisco pretty much said that he's just going to have a long, it's going to be a long suffering death. So 
possibly could they do kill people. I think that's the way Eddington rationalized and say, well, I, I'm not killing him. You mm-hmm. know, I, he's alive. He's got every chance to survive. Yeah. I think that that's mm-hmm. part of, uh, I think that's his hubris. You know, I think that he thinks that, uh, that that's okay, honestly. And I think that that, that hubris is really what doesn't serve him well in this particular episode, especially with the attack on the defiant. So by the time we get to the punching bag scene, which arguably is one of my favorite scenes in the entire episode. Yeah. One. Absolutely. Terry Farrell does a hell of a job of holding that bag. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you've ever held a punching bag for somebody. But it's not always easy. <laughs> I, it doesn't look like it's too easy, but she does do a fantastic job of it. Yep, absolutely. And Cisco's dialogue about, you know, how, you know, he he essentially just, he got bested, right? You know, Eddington's you know, not, not an alien. He's not a uh, somebody who's lived seven lifetimes. He's just a guy. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that it's eating at him so severely. And, and this is his outlet. He's got to let some of that stress and frustration out. And this is how he chooses to do it. And then, and the scene between Dax and Cisco is just fantastic. One of the things I like best about the scene, and I agree with you, it's one of the best, if not the best scenes of the entire episode is this is where we get to see Avery Brooks just just do it the way we love it. The enunciation. And as, as J.G. Hertzler pointed out when we had him on the show, he enunciates every word and he does it while he's punching this bag. And it's just awesome. And and the final and he beat me is just it's so great and it shows you just said it it shows how it's eating him up and it's it's threatening it's threatening his career i think um he just doesn't know it i mean it's it's we talked about obsession the tos episode kirk had nothing on cisco and how cisco's obsessed with eddington in this episode well and you know i I think the thing that that really drives this home for me is the fact that this is the first time that we've ever seen cisco like this you know, we've mm-hmm. seen him annoyed. We've seen him yell. We've seen him loud. We've seen him, you know, um, sort of speculative and perhaps he hadn't made the right decision in a number of occasions. But this is the first time we've actually seen him taking out his frustrations physically like this. So, I mean, this says a lot about where Cisco is at at this point. And you're right. It's clearly an obsession. I, I think I may have softened on, uh, on the whole Kirk thing, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I, I've kind of changed my opinion of, of what Cisco does ultimately in this episode. Um, I think that Dax is really the only person who can have this conversation with him. And she really kind of acts as his grounding point throughout the whole episode. Oh, I agree. There's another scene later on in the episode um, where they're walking down the hall and and she says that she's becoming more and more like Curzon in this type of situation. I found that very interesting. And you saw Ben actually smile at that. And I thought that was kind of cool, but you're right. One of the things I like best about deep space nine and the relationships between the characters is that relationship between Dax and Cisco because of the special, you know, Curzon old man and, and, and the symbiont, it, it really is a special relationship. And then there's, there's a lot of scenes throughout the series that only Dax could talk to the captain the way that she does. Um, and be able to get away with it. And this is a this is a perfect example episode. Yes. Uh, I love that Cisco has that relationship with somebody. You mm-hmm. know, I think it makes him seem a little more human necessarily. We see things get to him more than they did with Picard and probably a little more than they did with Kirk. Um but we we see that human element where he questions himself and uses Dax as a as a sounding board. 
Kirk did it differently and, and Picard did it very differently by comparison. So mm-hmm. I don't necessarily like comparing captains, but I think that's an important element that that we need to consider in this particular episode for reasons which will come up shortly. All right. Ooh. Yeah. I know, right? That's foreshadowing. Nice. Um, nice. One of one of the key elements in this that really sets Cisco over the edge has to be the attack on the USS Malinche. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I definitely agree because now the Maquis have, you know, before they're a nuisance and they're smugglers and they might, you know, do some things that are, you know, pissing the wrong people off. Now they've attacked a Federation starship and pretty much crippled it. Uh and actually, it's the second starship in the episode that they've done that to. But obviously now they've become a real threat to the Federation and the Starfleet. And I think that just raises the game in Ben's mind even more, uh, especially when we see it. I will say that I found it very interesting that three Maquis Raiders could do the damage that they did to the Malinche when we saw the ship adrift. You know, here's the thing I've never understood. I'm going to go off on a slight tangent alert. So the Maquis, right? They're a terrorist organization. At the time that we're introduced to them, there's sort of no central command, if you will. But yet they all have the same ships. <laughs> Where do they get all these ships? And how come the, the galaxy knows them as Maquis Raiders when this is just a group of people who decided to rebel? That's a, I find myself because, wondering about this. It's because of those uh, replicators that I didn't install eight months before. They were able to build a lot more of them. <laughs> it's the same ship that Chakotay has at the beginning of Voyager, if I'm not mistaken, too. Yeah, absolutely. No upgrades. No upgrades. <laughs> I um no, so that's a slight tangent about that. Sorry. Well, um that's yeah, right. the, that attack on the Malinche is very concerning. And then you figure from there, Eddington goes into poisoning the atmospheres of planets so that it it's deadly to Cardassians. Mm-hmm. And if when you any one of those two events alone, certainly, you know, concerning, but the two of them together, I think, show a pattern of thought, which is really what, you know, makes Cisco decide he has to stop Eddington pretty much at any cost. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that cost in a second, but I agree. Um, you know, there's only you can only go so far before you cross that line and they don't just cross the line. They pretty much jump right over it and just keep going down the hill. So, uh, yeah, the I got to I got to hand it to the writing uh, of those particular scenes uh, with the Malinche and especially with Captain Sanders when he was um, on the hollow communicator. And again, when he was in Ben's office saying, you know what, pretty much Starfleet thinks you haven't gotten the job done. Um, it was really great to see. But. Yeah, you attack the Malinche, that's going to cause that's going to cause a few more red flags to go up, which obviously Ben decided to take things into his own hands without checking with Starfleet. A little bit. Um yeah, no bit. That's, that's going to happen. No, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about the evolution of, of Eddington. You know, in the last episode we saw him as a as a dutiful Starfleet officer who, you know, uh, reveals his true colors. In this episode, he's he's really sort of, I want to say romanticized sort of his position and what the Maquis really kind of are. You know, so at, at one point in the episode, in his conversations with Cisco over the hollow communicator, he sends him a file and it's a, it's a book and it's Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, which of course many people know as a, as a mega Broadway musical of the, uh, the 80, late 80s, early 90s. And um, it's obviously based on a, a, a massive French novel about a man 
who steals a loaf of bread to feed his family because they're poor and is imprisoned. And he is hunted for two decades by a policeman who just will not give up, Inspector Javert. And in this analogy, Eddington considers himself to be Jean Valjean, the guy who steals the loaf of bread. And he equates what he does to the same kind of thing that Valjean did. But arguably, they're incredibly different. You know, Eddington is essentially a terrorist, and, and Valjean was a hungry guy. Yeah. And I think that yeah. it's it's Eddington's overconfidence, and like I said earlier, his hubris, that that ultimately kind of, I think, in a way, perverts his view on on himself, quite honestly, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Well, here's the way. Here's my take on the whole Le Miserables thing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I haven't. I've never read it. I've never seen any of the productions on it. I know mostly about it. As funny as that may sound, because of this episode and and what is discussed about it, um, I will say that he has. I don't think obsession is the right word because we're talking about Ben's obsession and and Kirk and the episode obsession. But his he is so. He brings it up so many times and it's such an important part of why he's, he's getting under the skin of Ben by bringing up Joe, calling him Joe Vera and all that stuff that it's also his downfall because he, they keep doing that. So Ben, he keeps doing that. So Ben is reading it and then he and Dax discover or figure out what they need to do to catch Eddington because of Le Miserable. So it kind of backfires on him in a way. And I'm because I've never seen it or read it or anything like that. It it didn't have as much oomph for me as it probably does for other people who have seen it or or read it or or whatnot. But uh, yeah, that's my take on it. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Oh, it, it absolutely makes sense. I mean, I I have seen you know, the musical Limb is Rob several times. I'm familiar with the story, um, and I can appreciate the way they introduced it into the storyline. I feel that it, I, it gave Eddington this sense of nobility about himself, even though I don't think he actually possesses that. And it allowed Cisco to sort of outmaneuver and outthink him based mm -hmm. on the way Eddington sees himself. And I think that's a pretty important line to draw. And speaking yeah. of a line, Cisco absolutely crosses one in this with what I like to call Cisco's gambit. So obviously, yeah, Cisco um, realizes that. He has to become the villain. You know, if, if Inspector Javert is the villain of Les Miserables, you know, in, in theory, then he sort of has to do something that causes the hero to sacrifice himself in this case. And he decides that he's going to take up some of the tactics that the Maquis are using. And instead of poisoning a planet for Cardassians, he's going to poison the atmosphere of Maquis colonies so that they cannot sustain human life for the next mm -hmm. 50 years. And, you know, for the longest time, I thought that he did this out of pure obsession. And it's, it's that scene where he and Dax talk about Les Miserables in the, in the, the mess hall and the defiant. They really kind of changed my mind over this past weekend, watching the episode three or four times. I believe that the action he takes is reasoned in his own mind and he doesn't take it out of obsession. But I do think that he crosses an absolute line and compromises his ethics as a Starfleet officer. Um, 
I think it's more theatrics than it is necessarily obsession at this point, but I don't think that the ends justifies the means in any way. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I actually, well, I agree and disagree. I think that it, I think it was obsession. Um, he's, he basically is poisoning a planet. I mean, you got to be a little obsessed with, with getting your end results to poison a planet and threaten to keep poisoning any planet that Makiron on until he, until Eddington surrenders. Um, I think it would have been more theatrical if somehow they were able to make it look like they were poisoning the planet with, with, um, whatever these, uh, with trilithium resin. Let's talk about that for a second. That was kind of cool. Wasn't it? From uh, the Die Hard in Space episode, I caught that yesterday. I was like, "Wow, that's pretty awesome!" But I off on a tangent. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. It's all right. Um, you know, maybe he could have had Dax have some kind of torpedo so that it made it look like they were poisoning the planet, but they really weren't weren't poisoning it. That way, Ben is still, you know, not crossing a line, but he crosses the line. He does something that you would never expect, but at, at the same time, Bill. We see him do other things later on during the Dominion War that we wouldn't expect either. So maybe it is something we should expect from Benjamin Sisko. Well, that's the thing. I, I still think he is obsessed with obtaining or, or you know, a, a surrender from Eddington. But I don't think that he takes this action with the planet because he's obsessed. I think that he looks to use the tactics that Eddington is using to cause him to surrender. Because he doesn't, Eddington doesn't think Cisco will go that far. You know, Cisco says he has to make himself the villain in order for Eddington to, to sacrifice himself. And the only way he can do that is if he essentially does the same thing that Eddington did and abandon the uniform and take that act. So, and if he wasn't so reasoned about it in the scene before, then I, I might have thought that it was just pure obsession that drove him there. But I think that it's uh, obsession partnered with, you know, the fact mm. that he really has to, to, to abandon those ethics and, and sell it in order to get Eddington to stand down. That's kind of where I'm at now. Let me ask, let me ask you this then, because this is where I question theatrics versus, versus obsession. Um, he poisons the planet, which is like, are you kidding me? But then the scene where he completely flips out when he's getting ready to fire on the second planet and he's yelling at Kira to shut the hollow communicator off. And he's like, it looks like he's losing it. Was he doing that in show theatrics to get Eddington to surrender? Or do you think he really was feeling that? I think he's really pissed. I don't think that's obsession. I think that, you know, he's. He's angry and he's been angry and I think it's it's coming to the surface. I think the pursuit of Eddington has been an obsession. I think the desire to get him at all costs has been an obsession, but he becomes very reasoned when talking about Dax about Les Miserables and that sort of gives him the key mm -hmm. to to getting Eddington to just surrender. You know, he has to take this step and I think that, that tells us something important about Cisco, but he doesn't he doesn't decide to to poison the atmosphere of a planet be because he's off the rails. He does it because he needs to become the villain. And that's what Eddington will understand. It's funny. I've always gone back and forth on what I feel on, on how I feel about what Ben does, because you're right. He's very calm and, and open-minded to listening to Dax when he's in the mess hall, talking about what they need to do. And then he completely flips out on the bridge and I'm like, okay, What's causing this? Is this fake? Is it, is he just really just 
so obsessed with getting this guy that he's willing to do anything. It's an, it's a discussion that we probably can go back and forth on many times and opinions of what we think might change based on any given time we watch the episode because it's so well done. Before we talk about what, what might not work in this episode for us, because I think that we both feel the same way about one particular element. Would any of the other captains have done this? And I mean, any of them, whether it's, it's Picard or Archer or Janeway or Kirk or, or, um, or, or even, uh, you know, even, you know, uh, oh God, uh, Philippa Georgia, would any of them done this? I'm going to preface, I'm going to say no, but I'm going to say, but so no, but the Lorca that we saw in discovery this year. Yes, but it's not the Lorca that we thought we were watching. So yes and no, but mostly no. But maybe, right? <laughs> that's, that's, that should be that should be on a shirt. I'm going to say yes because I think Kirk would do this. I could see Kirk doing this very easily because we know how Kirk reacts to things at times, and we know that he's not exactly a stranger to obsession either. We know that the Kirk has disrupted entire civilization simply because he doesn't like the the worldview. So I think that he absolutely could have done something like this. Perhaps. I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard for me to say that he would do something as, as blatant as poison an entire planet. Now he's delayed the ship from getting somewhere where they needed medication, uh, for a rendezvous. Yeah. But it, that's, and that's just not the same as, as firing two torpedoes of trilithium resin into the atmosphere. I just, I don't know. I'd have to think about that long and hard before I'd say I think Kirk would be able to do that. Well, and it's important to note that Cisco poisons the planet for human life. Specifically. Well, yeah, but still. But, but no, still, I know. Yeah. I know. But it's if, not like he's you know, made the planet uninhabitable to any species. He essentially takes the opposite mm-hmm. tactic that Eddington does. I mean, Kirk does societal things that some might argue are, are, are equally as terrible, like, say, the feeders of Vol. The feeders of Vol were doing just fine. And then he turns Vol off and says, oh, okay, well, you're going to do this now. And oh, by the way, there's love. You're going to like it a lot. <laughs> or maybe or maybe destroying the computer on Endicar. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's you a good know? point. See, now you're making me think. See, Bill, you make me think, and that's why I love you. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so let's, let's discuss. And this is you know a point that I'm sure is up for discussion. Everybody has their own you know, view on this and you know, come on by Camp Ketimer and, and tell us how you think on the post for this episode for sure. Dan, what doesn't work in this episode for you? Because I think I know the answer to this. How can I put it? Um, the ending sucks. This episode. <laughs> it does. How's that? It does. It, it's uh, you know what? You've been chasing a guy for eight months. Um, after he had been working for you for 18 months and completely deceived you and you finally get him to surrender and you just watch him walk off the ship and let Odo take him away with just not really doing anything or saying anything. I, I thought it was just like, no, that's, that's just not, that just doesn't work for me. There's a lot there and, and we don't see anything at the end. Yeah. And really for me, the last 20 seconds of the episode doesn't work. You know, I'm okay with Odo taking Eddington to, to the brig, but that whole scene between Dax and Cisco afterwards, which, you know, almost mm-hmm. seems like a TOS, you know, kicker scene at the end of an episode where they should have been <laughs> laughing yep. with a slap on the back at the end. Just, I thought mm-hmm. really undercut the, 
the, the tension of the episode and, and what happened. So that, that's really the only thing in this that doesn't work for me. You're absolutely right. It made it sound like Cisco didn't think it was a big deal. Yeah. No, oh, God, I knew I forgot to inform Starfleet of what my plan was. Uh, don't worry about it. Well, yeah, and, and I can see Scotty in the background laughing without being able to really stand up straight. And, and it says that, that Dax felt the same way. Yeah. You know, yep. I, it, no, I agree. I, I, think the, I think the ending of the episode falls very flat. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up, Bill, and I'm, I'm very interested in getting your take on this, because on one hand, yeah, I can see it, but on the other hand, I just didn't like how it happened. You know, as much as Eddington didn't want his people hurt, I really found it hard to believe that he would surrender so quickly to Cisco when Cisco was ready to fire the torpedo on the second planet. If anything, I would, I figured he would try to attack the Defiant again somehow, but he just, he surrenders really quick. Now, that's what Cisco is betting he'll do, and he does it, but it just seemed with all of the blustering that Eddington did at the end of the last episode, and through most of this episode, he turned way too quick for me to be like, wow, I, it, it surprised me. I don't know about you. Um, I can understand where you're coming from on that. Um, I, I don't necessarily disagree. But I can also see that Eddington is looking at a side of Cisco that he hasn't seen before, where Cisco would just compromise, you know, his his ethics as a Starfleet officer and and poison the atmosphere of a planet. You know, I think he believes at that point that you know maybe his obsession has gotten the better of him from his perspective, and yeah. if he's just going to keep poisoning planets, then that actually puts Maquis lives at risk, and he can't have that. He's the hero. He can't have yeah. that. So he has to follow his sword. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I totally get that. And, and it makes sense. It just, it, for some reason, as I watched it yesterday, that question popped into my head. But uh, what you're saying totally makes sense. So looking at our central questions, um, and, and I think there's three that are, are really of import. The first one is this. Is Michael Eddington the voice of reason in this episode as far as his criticism of Cisco? And is that not weird? <laughs> Um, I think he is the voice of reason, but at the same time, I think Dax is more a voice of reason for Cisco. And the reason I say that is, is yeah, he's a voice of reason to a point, but then like we talked about earlier, he's, he's kind of a jerk about it and, and, and the underhanded insults and the Jover and this, that, and the other thing, it kind of, he wants to be the voice of reason, but it comes across to me as more brazen and, and just insulting than being a voice of reason. Oh, sure. But he's right about everything he says to Cisco oh, about, about Cisco. He is. He is. Oh, yeah. He's absolutely right. Um, it just I think the way that he does it takes away a little bit from what he's trying to accomplish in saying. OK, but he, you're absolutely right. He is 100 percent correct. I mean, Ben's off his gourd most of the time when it comes to Eddington. So yeah, I, that part I do definitely agree with. Excellent. And then question two, and this is one that has bothered me since I watched the episode the first time is this, should Cisco have been punished by Starfleet command for poisoning the atmosphere of a planet with a biogenic weapon that was lethal to human life? Well, should Eddington have been punished for uh, planting a virus in the Defiant? Well, he, on the he, station? Is, he is going to be punished. He was arrested. <laughs> and Cisco said he'd add that to the counts for his court-martial. Well, then why shouldn't Cisco? I, I agree. I think, yes, he should have. I, I believe that he should have. Um, he w went against 
I, I mean, I'm sure there's a regulation in Starfleet somewhere that says don't poison a planet, please. Um, so he he broke protocol and he broke the rules and he poisoned a planet, even though, like you said, it's only for humans and other people can live there. And they actually the Cardassians and, and Maquis switch planets. Um, so there will be people living there. But I can't see how he couldn't be punished in some way for the actions that he took in this episode. Yeah, I think this is one of the brief shortcomings of this episode. Yeah, or, uh, you know, because in Deep Space Nine, there, there's, there's an arc to the whole series. I mean, these characters don't develop amnesia the way we, we do normally in episodic Star Trek. You know, the actions of one episode factor into the next one. And they could right. have very easily have addressed that with a scene in an episode or two down the road where, where Cisco, you know, gets some kind of punishment for having done this. You know, maybe, who knows? Who knows what it is? You know, maybe I mean, uh, it could have been something as easy as he's communicating with the admiral and the admiral says, remember, Ben, it's already on your permanent record what you did on planet, blah, 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 whatever it is. Um, it, even something as simple of that, as simple as that would have shown that something happened. Yeah. And we never see that. That's interesting, because in, in looking up this episode, I, I took a look at some of the behind the scenes stuff on Memory Alpha. And one of the entries they had in there um, came from from Ron Moore. Um there was an article in, in Cinefantastique back in the day, and it says this. Cisco's actions in For the Uniform generated a lot of discussion. Ronald D. Moore commented, quote, Now we've stirred it up and let people really argue about this. Cisco took an action and took a step that probably Picard wouldn't have. That's what made it an interesting episode. I could see Kirk taking this action. It seemed to me like what Cisco did was basically level the playing field again. Eddington go goes and poisons some worlds put some stuff in the atmosphere that makes the Cardassians have to leave. He didn't destroy the ecosystem or the biosphere because he wanted the worlds for the Maquis. Cisco did the same thing, but did it to the Maquis, rendered some worlds uninhabitable to human life. It was a pretty drastic action. He's out on the frontier. He has some difficult decisions to make, and it solved the problem. He pulled Eddington in off his ship, and he got results. I respected him for doing it. It was a bold decision, and it worked. I think sometimes the characters have to do the right thing, even if it's difficult, and make a tough decision and not worry so much about keeping their hands clean and not be so obsessed about what the rules are sometimes. I think Kirk was more than willing to bend a rule every once in a while to serve the greater good, and I think that's what Cisco did, end quote. I think that's a very interesting take. Um, I still think he should have suffered some kind of penalty, though. Yeah, uh, like I said, I agree. Um, it, it's interesting to see Ronald... Demore, uh, think that way. Um, especially the Kirk thing, because we just talked a minute ago and I don't, I'm not too sure Kirk would have done something like that. Uh, it, it's, it's something that, uh, it's one of these, it's one of these talking points that I love about deep space nine is that everybody's going to have a different opinion yeah. and hashtag no wrong answers. It's, it's, it's an ethical, it's, it's a great ethical question. Now, you know, I, I really could be getting really into the weeds with something like this, but okay. So let's say that Cisco poisoned the planet for humans mm -hmm. and they put out an alert and everything like that, but somebody didn't get the alert and decided to land on that planet and they're human and now they die. Mm -hmm. Is it Cisco's fault? And should he be punished for that? Uh, it, it's, yeah, it's, possibly, it's, yeah. it could happen. Yeah, it could. I, I imagine they'd set out the, uh, the warning buoys like they did in next generation, every other episode in the first season. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and right. say, yeah, <laughs> danger Will Robinson. Oh, I crossed the stream. No, but wow. you know, yeah, you're right. There are no wrong answers. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about Star Trek and episodes like this is that, you know, it causes conversation that really makes us think about some of these actions the characters take. Um, and speaking of which, 
our last central question for this particular episode. Do Cisco's actions in this episode, where he seems to abandon his ethics, make it easier for him to do what he does in the episode in the pale moonlight? Mm. Uh, the first thing that I can think of is he says it himself. I can live with it. So, yeah, I think he can based on this. Absolutely. Um, now, the, the big difference here is what he did in this episode, everybody knows about. And whether there are repercussions or, or whatnot, everyone's privy to that information. In this one, the only person that he needs to come to grips with about it is himself. So that might make it easier for him to do as well, based on the fact that last time I decided to abandon my ethics, everybody knew about it. This time I abandon my ethics and I am, you know, an accessory to murder and whatnot. Just me who knows about it. So or maybe Garrick and he'll be quiet. So, yeah, I'm OK with it. I think it makes it easier for him. I absolutely think it makes it easier for him. You know, um, one of my favorite television shows of all time is The Shield, which is a show about corrupt cops in Los Angeles. Uh, stars Michael Chiklis. It was on uh, about 15 years ago. That's when it started. And there's a great episode called Co-Pilot, which is essentially meant to be a prequel to the pilot. When it's the first time those those cops do something to bend the rules the first time, and they realize how easy it is. And I'm not saying that's essentially what happened in this case, but I can certainly see it being an easier decision for Cisco to bring the Romulans into the Dominion War based on what he does with the trilithium resin than if he hadn't. I think that it absolutely gives him the okay with himself to go ahead and do it, even though he regrets the decision, you know, almost immediately, you know? I find it interesting that in some accounts, this is one of the great Cisco episodes of all of Deep Space Nine. And in the Pale Moonlight is probably one of the best episodes of the entire series, if not the best Cisco episode. That's debatable, I'm sure, by some people. But isn't it funny that both of these episodes that we love so much have to do with Ben doing these unethical things? I find that interesting. And acting very unlike a Starfleet captain, quite honestly. Absolutely. I am. Um, I, I agree with that 100%. You know, um, I have to give all, you know, all kinds of credit in this episode, both to Avery Brooks and to Ken Marshall. Because the two of them opposite each other in this is is fantastic work um, by both actors. It's it's truly amazing. They are fantastic. It makes me wish that we got to see more of Eddington going forward. Oh, wait, we get to see him at least one more time. But one thing I did want to mention, Bill, is, you know, our friends over at Mission Log just started doing uh, Deep Space Nine on their weekly show. And one of the things that they constantly bring up is that, you know, this was expected and is a darker star trek it's you know it's on the edge of the frontier this that and the other thing doesn't get much darker than what happened in this episode and in what happens in the pale moonlight so they're doing exactly what they told us they were going to do i think it's great i couldn't agree more well dan that um that kind of wraps our look at at for the uniform an episode that i i love i love this conflict i love the performances turned in by these two actors and it um, it definitely is a fantastic discussion tonight, buddy. Thanks so much. Hey, it's my pleasure. I love talking. I love doing these deep dive episode discussions. It really because uh, because it's good that we have differing opinions on some things. And it's good that you usually agree with me most of the time anyway, too. So thank you. <laughs> much to my chagrin and dismay, <laughs> I assure you. Well Dan, another <laughs> thing that's great. 
the five guys that that we love so much, the band Five Year Mission. Dan, they're year four as this episode drops in real time, the the week of April twenty fourth, two thousand eighteen. Year four drops this week. So if you're hearing this podcast, you are not far from getting some brand new five year mission tracks in your ear holes. That's all I have to say. Please head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Get all their albums. We've heard year four. We absolutely love it. You've heard snippets from it in this episode now a couple of mm-hmm. times. Uh, there's going to be more to come. And we just seriously go get this music. You're going to love it and you're going to be a big fan. We've been waiting for it for a long time. They are a great band. They have great music and they have great episodes of Star Trek, like the one I just finished watching before we recorded tonight, Bill. You know, the Battle of the Bands has been raging on for a long time, and we need something to allow us to go on the offensive, my friend. We need to take control of the war. And in this episode that I watched, I think we found exactly what we need. It's a planet, a very special planet with a very special crystal transmitter that we can use to send the songs of five-year mission across the galaxy to bring peace and tranquility. Oh, man. And, of course, I am talking about the episode Seawees Farkum Parabellum. It was a great one, and I recommend it to everyone very highly. Very, very good episode. Uh, I think this is the first time you've invoked Discovery, and Indeed. it doesn't get any better. It just it doesn't. i'm proud of this one i gotta say i'm not gonna lie you know (laughs) we had to wait to get year four in our hands it is worth it every single note so that's fiveyearmission.net please download all their albums come on just do it dan next week we take a look at the final installment in the cisco versus eddington arc 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 with what amounts to a pretty fantastic finale wouldn't you say or possibly because we just talked about five year mission, maybe it's the Eddington Cisco Fark 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 Fark. Oh, just maybe? keep going. <laughs> okay, I will. Yes, <laughs> that's right, Bill. Next week we're gonna wrap it up, and it's literally gonna go out in a blaze of glory. What'll happen to Eddington? What'll happen to Cisco? Well, we're gonna break it all down next week on an all new episode of Trek Geeks. Your independent Star Trek podcast. Ass, ass. <laughs> Enough with the echo. Jesus. I'll, I'll invest in an echo machine. Stop it. <laughs> Thank you. Get the hint, please. Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at the tricordertransmissions.com. Um, my episode of Trek Profiles will be coming out uh, in May. And I think you are going to be mm. talking with John Kikorian very soon, my friend. I'm very excited about this. I am extremely excited. I got the invitation yesterday from John. I am thrilled and honored that he has asked me to join him. I can't wait to have that discussion. I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's a great podcast, just like all the other podcasts, the Tricorder Transmissions. They do a fantastic job over there. They are our dear friends, and they are turning out such great content. We seriously want you to check them out. That's the TricorderTransmissions.com. And, of course, for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo, please visit Trek News. For now, this has been episode 136 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. So let me get this straight. Jovert chases Jean Van Jean, or whatever his name is, Jean Van Jovi. I don't know. (laughs) Jean Van Jovi. Yeah, let's go with that. Jean Van Jovi. For stealing a loaf of bread and chases him for 20 years. Is that correct? That's right. What would have happened if he stole a... 
coconut. <laughs> you knew it was coming. All right, we'll see you later. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Hello, sir. Hi. Oh, oh, my chest is oh, I'm coughing up something and it it does not look good. Oh. It might it might be a lung. Uh, a Breguet lung. <laughs> 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 nice, nice, good one. Uh, thank you, thank you. So uh so, so how you feeling? Oh god, this cough is just killing me. It's not a it's not a cough that I've tried. I've tried um Mucinex, I've tried Tussin, I've tried I don't know, a couple other things that Sue and my sister said for me to try. Nothing is doing anything. There's no congestion. There's no stuff to, to cough up. It's just it's just awful. It's not like you should move straight to bourbon. Well, I did have some uh some Tennessee fire last night and it, it wasn't bad. I, I won't lie. <laughs> so about no. uh three o'clock this afternoon. I'm sitting there, and Kelly noticed I'm getting up off the sofa. She says, uh, what you doing? I said, uh, I don't know. I'm thinking about day drinking. She goes, oh, my God. So was I. <laughs> <laughs> so I broke out the martini shaker, and I made myself a lemon drop. That's a common occurrence in this household. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yes. These things I, happen. It has to, you know. I, I knew I was going to be talking to you later, so I needed to prepare. So I drank. I see that uh, not only is this cough affecting uh, your health, <laughs> but uh, it's making your comebacks less witty than normal, if that's possible. The wit scale is, is has dropped a couple of notches tonight. You might actually win for a change. No, I'm um, just kidding. No, you won't. <laughs> no, I won't. So my wife is presently downstairs. And usually when I when we record the podcast, she's either knitting or doing something. Right now she's reading. And... She put the TV on something that wouldn't distract her. So right now she has our TV on Telemundo. Oh my. And she has playing Spanish language television broadcasts because she figures they won't, you know, take her away from the reading. Uh, see, when I read, I don't like to have anything, any noise. Um, if I'm doing stitching or something like that, I'll put on stuff that I've seen, like Jaws or Patton or any Star Trek episode or anything like that. So I can, you know, just say it in my head as it's playing and and enjoy it that way without having to look up to the tv and watch different scenes but when reading no nah, i have to have silence silence no, she, <laughs> she figures that'll suck her right in wow but this, if there's nothing playing then how could she get sucked right in well i mean she has the the noise on for video wallpaper okay video kill the wallpaper store no, plenty of things killed the wallpaper store. It, yes, uh, it like wasn't wallpaper. video. Oh my god! When we were getting ready to sell the house, we had to unwallpaper Rebecca's room. Oh, Whoever yeah. invented wallpaper, I would like to um, boil them in wallpaper removal glue. <laughs> what? Uh, wow, that that's yeah. kind of strong. 
Mm-hmm. What did you What did you remove it with? Uh, I don't know, sulfuric acid. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so when I I bought my house, God, uh, thirteen years ago or so, there was the most hideous wallpaper in the kitchen, and at that point, I did some Googleification. And I found out that if you use liquid fabric softener and warm water with a spray bottle and spray the wallpaper and pretty much saturate it, you can peel it right off. Oh, we did find some stuff. We we got a wallpaper scorer, which was kind of cool. And then we had some some stuff that we got at at the Ace Hardware store that was like a gel, spray gel, and you sprayed it on. It it came up nice. It was just time consuming and messy. Kind of like your face. Wow. Mm. That that, that took a turn. My face is not messy. My face is glorious, I'll have you know. People's opinions for Bill's face can be sent to no. podcast at trekgeeks.com. No, I didn't want or to. Or you can hit us on Camp Kittimer and 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 you know, really just, you know, let my face have it. That's fine. I'd like to hit your face. You, you want to be that petty, that's fine. Bam. Bam. Wow. So it's yeah. going to come down to violence with you. Okay. No, it's not violence. It's a love tap. <laughs> Bam is a love tap. I see what it is. <laughs> That's really nice. Words weren't meant to hurt, Dan. I'm sorry, Bill. You're my friend. <laughs> and, and I appreciate everything you do. And, and the executive producing that you do on this podcast is just second to none. And I could never even think to reach the goals and the heights that you have already made in such a short time of, of the Trek Geeks, uh, your independent starter. Oh my god, it's getting deep in here. Pretty good, wasn't it? No, that was actually that was uh, horrible. I, there was no sincerity. Once you fake sincerity, you pretty much got the world at your feet. I, I, it was very sincere. What do you want yeah. me to to like wax poetic and make it sound fake? No, that's the problem. It sounded fake. How would you like it to sound? You tell me. You pretend that you're telling me the same thing for discovering Trek in a way that I could believe. Go ahead. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. See, I'm at least honest about it up front. Jeez, okay. Well, I, I appreciate like, that. I tell you what, Dan, you have done such a great job that I'm going to let you have all of my Axonar patches. Wow, that was really low. <laughs> Why don't you just I, fire me? <laughs> I don't think I can. You know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> wow. That was, wow, that was Axonar patches. God. I just I happened to glance to my right and I saw one of them because um, I haven't seen that picture of the executive producer of that uh, <laughs> said. Uh... <laughs> no, I was just saying I haven't burned the patches yet. So, um, oh, yeah. you haven't? No, oh. I didn't want to ruin my grill potentially. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. All right, yeah. you uh, you ready to do some uh, some podcastification? I'm trying. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> wow, I got. The mute I got the mute button ready because I don't want to, you know, hack out our listeners. I'm glad that uh, after 135 episodes, you're finally ready here for episode 136. Wow. Congratulations. I'm very proud of myself. Thank you. Not half as proud as I am. Let's do this. 